Hello and welcome everybody. This is episode 7 of The Target here. Your host is Mr. Haflamog. The whole thing is sponsored by 2P. They always write a nice bullet article, bullet point article after uh, we are done with the show. And of course also Hitbox makes that all possible. I have a very special guest today, uh, which is for every cast out there pretty much a role model and idol, especially around the Dota 2 scene. It's Toby Van Kenobi. Or just Toby, Toby Van. He's known, probably, or the best known figure in in the Dota 2 scene. That's just a fact. He's also like one of the oldest figures we have in Dota, not by age, but simply the time he started. He's really out of directly out of the primordial soup we had from Dota 1 into Dota 2. So welcome, Toby. How was your Thanks day? Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, actually, quite long, but working through it. It's coming to a close soon. Yeah, you're at home, I see. So I hope you're all comfy because we're gonna talk about some, some, some casual topics, some topics maybe no one ever asks you. I'm always trying to not go for the boring ten question interviews because you have dozens of them anyway. Oh each come on, those event. wonderful questions of like, what was your favorite game? What was your best <laughs> moment in Dota Two? Like, yeah, yeah, not, those, not... Those, those those appear way too often. Not, not gonna happen here. There's, of course, my set of questions will come as well as some questions that come from Reddit as well as uh, Twitter. A lot of, actually, for you, we have a lot of questions um, and I hope I, I incorporated most of them. And at the end of the show, we also get directly to like the more funnier questions that are like, yeah. Anyway, you, you'll see. Let's talk about some up-to-date stuff. TI invites, you're in. So congrats on yep. that. I mean, it's 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 not a big surprise. But then again, we have uh, a lot of names that were surprisingly not nominated. So, what's what's your call on like all these not invited, invited? The style of it, you know, LD made a blog about it, etc. Uh, LD made a blog about how it was handled. He didn't actually say like like it was a shame that these people aren't there. Like, yeah, he kind of did say that, but it wasn't like you must have these people there. When you, when you think about it, it's very difficult if we look back at TI4 to say that every single person that was there doing coverage actually did something. That would be lying if I said that. Like They came in, maybe did three days worth of commentary, and then hung around for two and a half weeks not doing anything and just trying to... I, even when you hit Key Arena, there was no places for everyone to sit. It was just too many people for very little production quality. So... It makes a lot more sense for Valve to refine the numbers down a little bit more so they can refine their production and actually help develop the storyline, which is really the goal at the end of the day, is to make sure that the people who are watching TI can follow TI and enjoy the coverage as well and don't just get lost in it all. Yeah, um, but like just thinking back when you, for example, started or like earlier TIs where the group stage was not handled by Valve and stuff, like uh, TI also mm -hmm. used to be, or also other major events used to be, I don't know, for those up-and-coming people, like, a stage to actually make themselves a name. I'd just say, uh, High Crown TV last year, TI4, right? I mean, they did their stuff on NA Dota and everything known in the scene, but, like, worldwide, globally, they were completely mm -hmm. no one. And then, what is Hib, Mod, etc., and they suddenly got the group stage games. Shiva was pretty much getting into the scene by group stage cast of TI3. And this is now completely taken away. So you actually think that's good for the building up the youth in the scene? Uh, it, it depends on on where you believe you should start when you build up. Like whenever someone comes to me and says, I want to be a commentator, I'm saying what you should do is start with your local scene. 
and then then go into your like your regional scene then go into the international scene and do this stage by stage so you're ready and you're prepared for it all uh and a lot of people got thrown into the fire like the whole baptism by fire thing for casters to start yeah okay that that happens has happened to most of us at one point of our careers but you don't want to jeopardize what is the biggest tournament in dota 2 with the coverage of that for the sake of saying at least this person gets a break like that shouldn't be the break that should be the pinnacle saying i've worked so hard that now I actually get to be a TI caster. This should be a thing which is respected and revered and not a place where it's like, well, at least you get an opportunity to show what you can do. Like that's that's for the players who qualify through and maybe the wildcard positions, not for the coverage crew. Yeah. No, I, I get it. I mean, it's it's a very high-quality standard you, you put up there and I can understand it. Of course, it's also a bummer for those who where at least the community or they themselves think they, they worked hard enough and they deserve that spot and in the end Valve just does not agree. It's, yeah, the, the whole phrase also of work hard enough, like there's a lot of people who work so hard and I know LD uh, referenced a couple of them as well, especially a guy called Blaze, where everyone's like, man, this guy's cast like more dough than anybody else. There was a huge public outcry when Coddle Guy wasn't invited. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and And people like... In those situations, you could say, yeah, maybe it was a Valve fuck-up. Maybe it just took a little bit longer before it was announced. No one really knows. No one said anything, so we can't judge on the situation. But, like, those people, you work hard. But unless you got the talent, unless you got the reputation, unless you got the skills, you still shouldn't be hired for a job. And it really is a job. Like, TI2, I was told when we were brought there that it's a thank you to have us involved. And, like, it's just a... It's just a nice celebration of Dota. Uh, but now Dota has evolved to a point where you really have to start looking at it more from a business perspective, yeah. which means you don't select people based on friendships. You don't select someone just because they cast 500 games within a calendar year and you feel like that hard work should be rewarded by casting the main event of TI. Unless that person is capable and has experience to cast the main event of TI, you're not going to give them the job. So you've got to work with other events, do what like Odie Pixel was doing, where he was casting Anthony and get his hands on in England. Uh, then he got a gig and did a lot of stuff with DreamHack. Like, that this was his way of building himself up. Then he went through that whole regional to divisional to international, proved himself international. And then Valve was like, you know what, this guy's got that kind of vibe we want to have. Yeah. and pushes forward yes i think he is probably the exception to the rule when you look at the people who have been selected uh as far as experience goes he doesn't have a lot of it and he's still got a long way to develop but yeah. the spice which he can bring if you compare him and you can give him some good direction uh he can do a lot of great stuff at ti so he's probably the the edge of like potential but has the skills to do what valve want him to do as far as the production and coverage goes yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of the, the example in two ways. First of all, he's hardworking. I know that because uh, um, when he was still casting ESL in the UK, uh, he also had a side job and he also was uh, casting some games uh, in, in Heifer TV, for example. And like for him, it was so much time load that he, he really wanted to cast more. Also, like international games we had, like tier two content we had, we offered, but he just couldn't make the times because he had to work till five and six. And then just in the evening, he had like with Wakey Pixel his stuff. And well, he was the lucky one because that comes to second example because he found someone who's like a Patreon, which is Pure and Flex, I think. 
So Pure Inflex into GD Studios, that was his jump. So he kind of skipped the whole, I go to the international scene because he got directly to the tier one thing, which is a good thing because that's how talent scouting sometimes works. So he's, I guess, an example for, for both ways it can go. Yeah. Anyway, so this is pretty much about the in invites. We, we still have a month time pretty much. There's yeah, so much more content coming and then suspicion. Maybe we even have some, some other invites. Whatever uh, happens, we will see. Join Dota. Like the Join Dota project, I, I know there has been like Reddit has been outcrying the community. Oh, Join Dota is dead. Beyond the Summit, Casting Monopoly, whatever, whatever. All the, the stories and stuff. And you, you kind of found yourself in a position where you were on the back foot. You had to say like, sometimes even on your Twitter in an ironic way. So, right, we are dead. Right after you had, for example, LAN events and, and stuff like that. You came back with the MLG project, for example. You pimped up Join Dota League, which I guess was something that you always planned or that Join Dota always planned, or maybe that's something that Melk brought in. Who knows? But how did that go? Like the, the content you guys planned that you announced in 2.14, how did all that work, work out? Well, I would start with saying, like, I don't think we've had the problem with Join Dota where most people think the project is dead. Um, yeah, maybe the website isn't as great as a lot of the other websites out there, but that's something which we can fix in the future. As far as our coverage goes, yeah, MLG definitely helped us uh, because we're able to have consistent content, but it was also on a platform that wasn't Twitch. And yeah. as you guys know, as well as most people know, if it doesn't happen on Twitch, most of the community doesn't actually realize it's happening to start with. Uh, the only other way to get up there is like through Dota 2 Labs or something. So betting of res gives people meaning to watch the content. Uh, but MLG, MLG was a great step forward. MLG really wanted to invest into Dota 2. They wanted to have Dota 2 content on their platform. So the Join Dota League was just an obvious step where they wanted to do something which everyone could be involved with, but we still have the top tier teams in there. And we're like, mm. well, we've got this thing, which would be fantastic. It lets everyone, everyone have a chance. You can build yourself up through the league and then get yourself into the pro league. So it, it just made a lot of sense to build what we built uh and yeah it kind of just all flowed together we always had bigger plans for join dota league we didn't know exactly where it would go or how many people wanted to be in it but yeah the opportunity presented itself so we just combined the two yeah i mean it it worked out nicely because i was personally i was actually impressed by the numbers you pull uh to mlg just because we all know the phenomenon, you already said it. If it's not Twitch, then you always struggle. Betting is the way to get it in. Otherwise, the content has to be really good. The personality has to be really good. So the numbers will always be 30%, 50% of what Twitch can actually offer you just by default, by people just browsing Twitch. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I was surprised. Are there, like, you continue the projects with MLG and you also have always an open mind to new platforms? I mean, BTS is always loyal to Twitch, right? Reasons don't don't matter right now, but uh, Join Dota has been working with Daily Motion, has been working with MLG, and yep. now Asubo is a big player. YouTube Gaming is coming on the mark. Hitbox is there already. Is that an option for Join Dota? Uh, well, our options we always try and keep open. Like that's kind of been our philosophy. We like when we first started Own 3D TV, were the first ones that really invested any kind of money into Dota 2. We were the first small cup. Um, which we actually ran with actually with the help of BenQ, um, at the BenQ Clash, classic first first cup tournament of Dota, yep. uh, and then we did the defense, which was our big thing, and that was when ten thousand dollars or ten thousand euro was was very very big. Uh, 
but without us having an exclusive contract with them, we would never have had that tournament. No one else was interested in giving us that kind of money uh, directly to run an event like that. So it made sense for us to work with them. And we found ourselves in an exclusive contract. Obviously, when they went under, we broke free. But during the, the last six to nine months of our contract with OwnCruity TV, we felt really trapped because it was difficult for us to work with groups like Twitch. Like even me doing DreamHack at that time, yeah. I had to get approval from OwnCruity TV that I could be involved in an event, which is Twitch. Uh, and we were like, okay, well, why do we have to do it like this? Like we'll just have contracts with groups but we just don't make ourselves exclusive. So we can work with whoever we want to, whatever opportunities arise, we can do it to the best of our ability. Uh, yes, we took a reputation hit, which is another reason why a lot of people talked about the fact that like, people didn't think Joinedita was doing anything. It's because they never saw what we were actually doing. Someone yeah. said I hadn't actually cast in three months, but at that point I was like casting every single day for that three-month period. But... We didn't do a lot of it on our Joined Dota Twitch channel, so they didn't see anything. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was a problem we had with exposure, um, and it's a problem which betting sites sort of solved the problem, but at the same time now, if you don't get listed there, it doesn't resolve the problem at all because there's Absolutely. a lot of other Dota which flies under the radar, which people don't see, and that's because they just like they don't check the Joined Dota ticker, well, they check the Gosu Gamers ticket, but Gosu Gamers doesn't include any of the Joined Dota League. Uh, normally, doesn't even include the cups that we run, like the ISO cups, um, yeah. Gigabyte Challenges, things like this, which is really important for people to watch. Because if you watch these things, you see new and developing teams come up. And that was something, yeah. too, which like, we got a little bit slapped down for, and we never really understood why. Because the community was always just like, we've got to grow, we've got to grow as a community. And I was like, well, Join Dota's dead, they're not doing anything for the community. It's because, like, yeah, we weren't casting the top six teams every single night because most of the time they were booked into a whole bunch of other events we we either weren't involved in um, or couldn't get the rights for. So we ended up streaming a hell of a lot of um, small cups and these other tournaments, which gave a platform for teams to grow and actually earn real money. Uh, and, yeah, we kind of got shat on for supporting the community in the way we did so we try to find a balance and the M mlg like pro league gives us that kind of balance even esl with their open qualifiers into other qualifiers and with direct invites to the end of esl one like that works really really nicely so i think we found a lot better balance to what we cover uh and we just got to try and keep that balance with what we do yeah from a business perspective, I mean, you, you, you said you, you took like a beating by going to other platforms now that other platforms are more and more established. Plus, I had that uh, last week, pretty much the topic with Sayori, where we talked a lot of business heavy stuff, like really just everything about platforms and ad revenue, how studios make money, etc. So, I mean, the fact is, we said it multiple times, the ad revenue is, is, is horrible at the moment for pretty much anyone who produces content and wants to live off that. You always need more from sponsor side from whatever else revenue stream you can produce for a company yep now that that joint dota is like that open to so many opportunities in in form from of platforms you think that was the right business move because now you can actually go to the one that offers better conditions let's call it like that instead of these well, lockdowns it's, it's, it's not even better conditions it's a little bit more unstable because we 
we go from event to event to event, and while we might have these stable events which happen with certain partners, uh, that can all change within the space of six to 12 months. Yeah. But it's better because we, like everything's moved from studios having power into individuals and events having power. Uh, yeah. You're actually, like, you're not gonna see the joint at a live stream casting ESL events. Like yeah. Even our qualifiers we did was an ESL underscore joined at a red stream. Because this was this is important that all the streams are attached to just one event. So studios now get their power by having their casters being hired for events. Yep. Or being attached through events. And this is very simple to do. Even smaller events are doing the same kind of stuff now where they're just like, okay, we wanna hire your group to provide coverage and this is either done from like if we're using joint odor as an example, we'll say, okay, we're going to have um, the internal team, Cap, Durka, Blitz, myself, casting this at this point of the series. But for other points, like we might give it to external casters that will either use our channel or like use an alternate channel. But yeah. every time, every time you take a step further away from it being joint odor coverage, like they, they've got to pay for that loss that we have. So if we use their stream, like there has yep. to be some kind of reimbursement which allows us to justify actually having casters employed. Because at the end of the day, it's it's a game of balances when you try and like get your checkbook out. Like you go, okay, I've got this many expenses and I've got this much income. If this doesn't balance, then like I have to get rid of some of my expenses. Normally, the first place you cut is your crew, is your talent. Like, it's like I cannot afford to employ six full-time employees, no. um, and with obviously with Join Dota, it's even more than that because we have like editorial staff which is paid, our database, our tournament crew. Like we pay as many people as we possibly can for the work that they do because it's so important to have the project running, and all these expenses start to add up. So we've got to find ways to to balance all of this, and yeah, by being independent gives us more opportunities. Uh, and people are willing to pay to have you work. And because we're so unique, like groups like BTS, who are very heavily tied into Twitch and can't do anything else outside of Twitch, like that's a great situation for us because then other people can approach us and say, hey, we really want to have like top quality broadcasts coming out. Um, are you interested in working with us? And this opens a door for us to then do things, more things in the future. Maybe then they switch like D2CL did. Everything was on daily motion at the start. And then they switched over to Twitch. And we keep that partnership with the group because we understand each other and we helped D2CL a hell of a lot. And these are the kind of partnerships that in the future uh, are really going to dictate how business is done in Dota 2. Yeah. Well, it's it's actually very interesting um, that Insight, it's... it's how can I say it? It's, it's also... I, I noticed that shift in like business policy by a tournament organizers because... Like two years back, everybody was building their stream. You were, you could pretty much just, if you were new to Dota, you liked the Join Dota Red channel. You liked to be on the Summit 1 channel and you got pretty yep. much 80% of the tier one content. That was just the exception that yep. it was somewhere else, right? And yeah, now- you, you, would just, you would just load up that one channel and you didn't have to go anywhere else during the day. Exactly. And, pow and power was measured by how consistent you were. I didn't cast for one week and I was considered dead. <laughs> back in the, back in those days yeah. but now it's it's event hype it's whatever grabs the attention from whatever portal people use like that's that's how you get viewers these days 
but you know what's the biggest problem with that i mean from a from a business point of view is that like i mean for example you say whatever you don't make on the let's say for example join dollar red channel is something the organizer has to pay you and sometimes i think organizers completely underestimate how much money that is especially if you have good contracts on those channels not not to mention that you have more followers because sometimes you just reactivate people that are on this channel already, subscribers, whatnot. And the same also goes if you scale that down to tier two tournaments whatsoever, that on the one hand, the organizer wants to have his own brand, his own channel, which he can present to sponsors for numbers, obviously. Mm-hmm. But then, then he's faced with the fact that, hey, uh, we want that kind of payment for simply the fact we do not cast on your channel. But then the problem is he's kind of surprised by that number and then he chooses to downscale in quality of coverage which is kind of bad for the scene. So that's why I don't like this business model, but that's just my go on it. Let's let's go to the next topic because we just talked a bit about Beyond the Summit as well. So once they're in the mix, uh, the TI Hub was a big get together, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know how much of this is true because it's usually none of my business and I'm not a gossip kind of guy, but the community is all about, I don't know, Toby versus LD, Join Dota versus BTS, uh, GD versus whatever. It, it doesn't really matter. Someone has always clashes with someone else. And how was the TI Hub? How was the harmony? Did it soothe out some of the maybe existing tensions? Uh, there is no real tension. Uh maybe a year and a half ago between myself and bts but that's because of some things that happened and hmm. i we both had our issues with that but most has been talked out uh no matter what happens though we looked at it and you and you got to understand that like we might have got emotional like we emotionally reacted to things when we should have reacted in more of a business kind of manner like decisions were made events were switched uh and it was a business opportunity. So I, I don't hold anything against BTS these days. I don't hold anything against Join, uh, join Dota. The good studio doesn't even really exist uh, as yeah. far as having an influence in the scene. It's just James Harding and his little minions which won't run around everywhere. But that's just him doing talent management. And we're all getting to a point too where we're starting to look at the scene and we understand that the studios don't exist. Uh, what you have is a group of talent in one location. Yeah. or working under one leader, which in the case of BD- BTS is LD. So he's got his boys and he does the best he can for them, while Join Dota does the best for all the talent that we have. And we'll get hired for as many events as we possibly can or establish relationships with talent that we want to work with. So the mm-hmm. hub was more like a whole bunch of talent coming together and we just worked that way. Because it, it wasn't... like we, we had the good studio, the Join Dota, and the BTS branding on there just because... You've still got your your own interests as far as brands go to keep them alive, especially to attach it to something that is that is as big as TI. But as far as the talent that were there, everyone was considered as individual talent. Yeah. the The only thing which maybe set us apart was the fact that, um, like myself, LD and Gods were the ones who were trying to balance everything out with schedule and organization. Yeah. That was it. That's the only thing which separated us. So but that inv- was that was fine for the others because they just wanted to sit there and cast. Yeah. So the invite process wasn't like like this. I don't know. I, I don't. I mean, I assume I know who does some of the talent picking, nominating, or whatever. But is it then that way that they can say like, okay, so we got we got Cap 
and Toby. That's two for join Dota, but we have like three or four for Beyond the Summit and maybe even affiliated people, aka High Crown TV and Observers, whatnot. We need to get some more join Dota guys in. Is there like is there some sort of balance um, attempt? It's a uh, we were very very adamant that the people that were there had deserved to be there. Um, with at least with our selections, uh, the couch was all up to James, but that was his thing. I didn't touch that at all. I didn't want to get involved in that at all. Uh, I wanted to focus on the main coverage. Uh, but the talent selection was based on who we thought was good. There were some other people which just, which just turned up as well. Um, uh, and Twitch also wanted to have a couple of people there because they were the ones paying for it all. So because of that, yeah, we, like, we didn't have complete, like, I'm only going to take these people kind of thing. I want to make sure I got more joined other people there. Like yeah. it was a, yeah, sure. Like we'll be, it'll be great if we could have as many of our crew there as possible. Sure. Not a problem at all. Uh, who else are you bring in this person, this person, we're going to make some cuts here and there, but like we kind of brought everyone that we wanted to bring in to the hub. We were able to pay for it all. So yeah, there was no problems like that. Okay. That's, that's pretty interesting. Just a random side question on this. We besides the talents and everything like you going back i mean first of all what most people don't even know pgl was involved of course in the ti hub like the location where you were was actually the the studios their studios in bucharest yep. which is more or less sometimes empty because they have the equipment on events like dreamhack etc and whatnot how, how do you like it to to come that often now to to bucharest i mean we saw each other there you were i don't know how often for d2cl for uh, the dream hack for your CS casting there now as well. Now TI Hub, it's becoming like um, your second city in Europe. Well, I always love working with the PGL guys. Uh, I'm never gonna say no to working with them. Uh, D2CL, I was only there for the finals. PGL, I was there more often, uh, mm. just because of the work I, I've done with PGL. Uh, the CCS, uh, the Counter Strike tournament I did was with them, so I was I was with them for that more than any, anything else. Uh, oh yeah, they're cool guys to work with. I don't know when I'm going to go back because there's nothing scheduled. Like the next big dream hack, which they're doing, uh, won't have Dota in it, uh, more than likely. So it's really, uh, that's disappointing. It's, it's, it's dates and clashes, uh, more than anything else. Okay. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I don't know when I get to work with those guys again. They'll probably do some CS stuff, uh, but I'm not planning on doing any of that anytime soon i've got some other things which i want to try and focus on okay which that that is awesome because you just did the best transition i could have thought of for the the typical question i know it has been asked like a hundred times but your csgo casting i don't want to ask how it was because you answered that already in many interviews but um your feedback a bit about dreamhack and now that you just said it was it really like a one-time thing, like focusing for a month on it, trying to get into it, having that second door open or your foot into it? Now you said you want to focus on something else. Is that already something you can share? or? Um, it, it wasn't a one-time thing, the CS casting. I really wanted to do it more. But I think I was also kidding myself that I could just jump into a scene and cast it and cast it at the level uh, which I would be happy with. Like. Mm. Like that was that was one of those things where it's it almost comes back to the initial TI conversation I was having. Uh, you don't hire someone on you don't hire someone if it's going to come at the expense of the tournament coverage. Yeah. And I and I feel like I did I really didn't step up to the mark. Uh, it was difficult being paired with someone like Sadikist, uh, because Sadikist was by nature a play by play guy and he's really good at that and his knowledge lets him always talk very 
beautifully with his co-caster. Um, so I was never able to direct and do the play-by-play the way I'd like it to be done. Um, and then I like I had enough knowledge that I could help, but I really needed a, like a professional player sitting next to me to balance for my lack of knowledge, yeah. uh, just to tip the scales a little bit. So it was, yeah, I, I realized a lot of my weaknesses. Um, uh, it was a little bit of arrogance as well, thinking that I've cast FPS in the past, I've cast CS in the past, I can just jump on the bandwagon and do it all over again. It's like riding a bicycle. Uh, that wasn't the case. Uh, I, I know a lot of people still said I did a decent job, but for me, decent isn't good enough uh, when I'm jumping into an event where it has the top teams of CSGO yeah. from around the world playing in it. That, for me, is is not a successful move for a commentator. Okay, so... What is then the new thing that's coming up if it's not CSGO? Um, <laughs> I mean, you can just just throw me a little a little bone. Uh, I'm still looking at a lot of other options, but I kind of wanted to step back a little bit from casting. Not fully, never mm-hmm. fully. I always want to commentate. Um, but I'd like to get into a little bit more of management side of things. I don't know where it's going to be or how it's going to happen, um, but it's something I'd like to do. Okay, so let's scratch the whole CSGO stuff. So that was a one-time thing. You would be up for it again on the on the right level, but you feel that's your place, I guess, considering what you what kind of demands you have on, on quality settings, which we had before. And that if you actually want to step a bit back and into the business side, management side, that brings me to the next thing, which is esports, age. And what comes after, pretty much. I mean, I'm not saying you're like an old guy, uh, but you're still one of the the more ma- mature guys in the scene. Let's let's say like this. Um, and for the players, it's mostly like this that they go for a career as young as possible, simply because they're sh- still sharp-minded, good reactions, no real-life stuff like wife, kids, whatsoever. And then they become like late twenties, and they're like. Oh, what do I do after? Is it like going back into real life, going for the traditional stuff, or is it staying in in my industry but doing something else? So for you, that's also an option, cutting down on the casting, then going into managing, just because of the age, you want to get prepared for the next ten years now. Um, no, it's just it's, it's where desire is. I I wanna like I've always kind of been working in the project of Join Dota, but never really directing it at all. Uh, so it's it's kind of just like whatever my whatever my desire is, I kind of just like follow it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not a thing of age. Like if I want to keep hosting and doing stuff like that, you look at Red Eye. I, I at his age, he's still doing doing wonderful things and doing it on the biggest stages around the world for multiple games. So, I you don't have to limit yourself with age once you like especially as a commentator, especially as a host or a play by play guy. Age is not a problem at all. Uh, I think, uh, like, I don't even even say, like, oh, would I leave this and go to real life? Because this is real life for me. I don't see esports as this as yeah, this joke, joke little side act which happens. It's it's a legitimate industry which is now grown to a point that we can actually call it that as opposed to probably what it was 10 years ago, which yeah. was a lot smaller when we all started out then. Yeah, yeah. It was also me just talking, like, the normal society opinion, not, of course, my own. Man, I'm, I'm an esport yeah. fanatic myself. Obviously, I... It's it's our our thing. It's a movement, even not just the industry. It's it's really something that twenty first century holds, and it's just the beginning of it, in my opinion. But yeah, for some people, it's still like the the video game thing, you know. 
Anyway, so I'm actually looking forward what you're gonna, I don't know, give birth to when, when you actually on the steering wheel of, of a company, of a project whatsoever, and not just behind a microphone. It's, it's pretty interesting to me because, of course, you bring a lot of experience into the whole mix, which other people don't have because they only have been on the mentioning side, but they never had to endure what happens to players, to casters, like waiting times, organization, scheduling, etc. You think actually you're actually going to be a bit biased on your business decision because you have the experience on the sometimes suffering side of the management? I don't know if I'd say bias. I, just because I've been through suffering doesn't mean I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to sacrifice everything else I've got to to make sure that no one ever has to suffer in anything that I'm involved in. I, one thing you learn about anything, anything that you do in life is that to actually get something, you have to give something back and and there's no way that you can please everyone especially in esports uh to pay the bills means it comes with with different conditions and like, all, all this stuff it's like, i you, you can't create a bias you've got to be able to see the whole picture but i i believe though as far as perspective goes that's something which yeah i, I bring fairly strongly to whatever i do yeah well Let's let's stop the the whole what's in the future and guessing game then to something we definitely know. Someone on Reddit was curious about the casting style. I mean, every caster has their own style, and you're very unique on this one, which makes you also so so popular. Um, you casted I don't know how many thousand games on your portfolio record right now, but it's a lot. Uh, they call it autopilot casting. You you think there is such a thing, or do you still throw in every sort of hype and uniqueness in every cast you can? You definitely have this kind of switch of autopilot when you cast a hell of a lot of games all in a row. Uh, there's no way to really avoid that, primarily because you are going through motions in a way. Like every cast has a basic structure, like it's beginning introduction, you go into your draft, you go into the decode of the draft, the execution of the draft, and then like the small dynamic things that change, and then the conclusion. Uh, like It's still the, pretty much the same storyline and same setup. Uh, the difference is uh, you still want to try and make it as unique as possible, but you don't want to just make it unique for the sake of making it unique because then it becomes a token effort. Uh, yeah. So it's like, you, as, as for me, yeah, you might be just rolling through the motions, but I'm never going to say it's autopilot casting because autopilot means like I don't have control of what happens. Uh, for me, I still feel like every cast I do, I'm in control. And I'm actually making the decisions based on my mentality. The the muscle reflex of what I do during a broadcast, that's probably more of following the same road as I've followed in previous casts. But I'm always driving the car, man. Okay. Well, because that... I don't know if that's something the... It's coming from a Redditor, which means maybe the community has that feeling sometimes they say they, the casts are too boring then again it also depends always on the game you know that like sometimes you just have a game that's just not moving it's you, just that, not going somewhere i never i never want to think about a caster as boring um because if you're starting to put that kind of pressure on a caster the ti4 grand finals was boring <laughs> oh, and <yeah>. then <laughs> i made that cast boring but at the same time as i walked off that desk i had a lot of people behind me who were just like you know what i for what you had, you did a fantastic job, yeah. and and that for me is like that's that's really what it comes down to. As long as you can do the best with what you've got, that's all that matters. But you've also got to make sure you stay true to yourself. 
You do not want to fake hype. You do not want to like start screaming at the top of your lungs or sounding like it was an, a, a, a massive play when really it was something which wasn't. Because uh, then you just show your inexperience as a commentator and your lack of knowledge of the game. Because if you're getting excited about something which is not, yeah. obviously you're then communicating to all viewers that you actually don't know what you're talking about or you don't understand what is happening. And this is this is a problem um, that a lot of commentators do hit because they feel like they've got to get noticed that they have to either massively criticize so people pay attention to what they're saying or they over-exaggerate things um, yeah, yeah. in order to also get people to like stop, look, and listen to what they're doing. It's actually quite interesting that you mentioned that because uh, it's also something that was floating in my mind, but I kind of dropped that topic. But now that we're into it, let's go for it. Like We had some of the personalities in, in, in the past improving a lot. Um, I had Sayori, for example, on my list because... I personally, I didn't like his casting when he came fresh into Beyond the Summit. But I mean, they picked him for the reason, and and I always trust the judgment of of people getting brought into like such a studio because I I know they have to have potential, otherwise they would never be selected. So he stepped it really up to a point where people were like, "Well, he proved so much," or like they they said like, "Oh, this is fake hype." But instead, he was actually just stepping up his game. The same goes for for other casters. But is the fake hype? That the the hype about the hype is that the problem of the community because I know some viewers because I interact a lot with them they I know the plays are not big and you just commentate on a like normal style play by play but they're like oh it's that boring and everything but you can't make every single little fight as hype as a TI final but many casters now go that way and you think I know I'm I'm cooking I'm just listening to a cast. And then suddenly I think, wow, the greatest fight of all times. And then I go to the screen and I see like, oh yeah, they just got a tier one tower. Ooh, ooh. Mm-hmm. So you think that's a problem, casting style wise? Oh yeah, it's a massive problem when you when you were able to have, like actually, kind of like the cooking analogy of it all. Like I remember back when I was like watching football. Uh, like I'd always watch NRL on most nights, but it's like, oh, you want to walk away, like you you want to cook something in the kitchen. And when the commentator starts going nuts, then you come back and you look at it. Exactly. And you yeah. say, awesome, now I can actually watch this instant replay of what just happened so I understand, like, okay, so this is why he was getting excited and the commentator was all for it. But it's still also the boy who cried wolf. Like, if I keep coming back and that wasn't a great play, then I'm going to yeah. stop respecting what that person's saying and how they're saying it. So you can't keep overselling it. Like, you're also not going to ride a roller coaster which is just taking you on a mass like like a 10 out of 10 nausea rating. You'll you'll end up just not riding it, and that's where people start muting live streams because they can't handle that level of intensity. Uh, so you got to try and find the best balance you possibly can. Some people can't take intensity at all, yeah. uh, and most of those people are the people who are probably on Reddit saying I've muted Toby One ever since the first time I ever heard him broadcast because they they just don't want to hear that style of commentary. They'll prefer to have monotonal players talking there and just like spilling out any knowledge which just comes to their mind they don't care about the entertainment level all they care about is the knowledge and being really passive while they watch the game because that's what their personality relates to Um, but unfortunately for them they're actually a minority most people get really really hyped up uh, based on the energy of a broadcast so what we actually say as commentators isn't as important uh, as how we say it and the tone in which we say it. And that's where 
you kind of find the answer to your question of how do I make sure I'm not doing fake hype? How do I make sure that like, like the person who's listening to my broadcast isn't bored? And the simple answer is don't make them always run a high because the second you hit that, and you've and you got to keep hitting that the entire time. Yeah. Uh, instead, try and find a good flow, a good balance to it all where you understand when you should be quiet, when you should be excited, and when you should also be slightly excited with a bit of prep. Uh, and before you get excited, don't just do it out of the middle of nowhere. Don't just sit there and all of a sudden, wow! Like, like that kind of shit is what's well, just going to turn people off and instantly mute the live stream uh, because they're never ready for it. Like you just basically scare the shit out of them. Yeah. And they're going to feel it's going to happen again. So they'll just take that control away from you and get it back to themselves, which is by muting the live stream. Uh, so what you got to do is find this way, like even before every single team fight, I will normally prepare you. Best example is like clockwork. I'll always see the position of clockwork. If he's the critical factor, if that hook shot in from him and the cogs positioning from him is the perfect thing, I'll talk about that for maybe 15 seconds before the team fight's going to happen. Because in Dota, everything can be predicted most of the time, especially when you can see everything. If yeah. you can't see a gank coming 15 seconds ahead, uh, then either you're not doing your job or you're playing with the lineup which has a hell of a lot of burst damage and they're probably dead in a fraction of a second uh, by just being in close quarters. But at those times, you can't do anything. So it's more about any fight which has any level of preparation work to it. You should be looking for this and preparing the viewer so when the action actually happens, they don't get lost in the spells flying everywhere or these cogs that are coming up you call that action live but they feel like they're keeping up a lot more because you've already taken the time to explain to them that this is what should be happening in the upcoming team fight so when it all happens i'm not going to say oh i told you so it's a viewer actually feels like they knew what was going to come they're a lot more prepared for it but they should still feel the hype because your tone of voice should uh should communicate this is an important moment yeah. uh, and that yeah. it's exciting that it should be pulled off the way we thought it should be pulled off. Information flow-wise, you think that esports commentating is too heavy, especially when it comes to the, the mobile games like Dota 2? I mean, let, let's be honest. Dota, when it comes to complexity and everything, is an immense brainstorming game. It's complex in every mechanic. It has a long history and other games are just simpler. So you said football, you were watching football or soccer, like the, the real football, like 11 players each side with goals, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, because there, I was so shocked when, I don't know, it was the European Championship or the World Championship, and I was sitting on my couch comparing to, for example, my casting or what casting you hear from other people. And that guy was sitting there, solo cast, solo commentating, and he was like sometimes having three minute breaks in between. Like, just imagine that in a Dota commentary that some uh, caster is silent for three minutes or just say says a player name where he's farming or something. See, that would be it, a total outrage. It doesn't have to happen like that. And football is, football is different because football does have this tie between big plays. You're not going to read into too much because then you're going to start repeating yourself too much. But Dota is definitely unique because it is so complex. But there's always something that you can bring attention to. There's something which the viewer should be interested in at pretty much all times. Yeah. Uh, so where you go from that is then saying, are we adding too much information or not enough information into the broadcast itself? Uh, and that actually comes into a different issue, which is how we actually commentate. 
almost every caster which isn't doing a main event like ESL1 uh, is basically jumping in there. Like you actually wait until everyone loads into the game, then you run your ten, your, your sorry, your one minute worth of intro videos and commercial things, and then you say hi everyone, jump straight into the draft, and you're already two picks and two bands into it all. Yeah. Um, and then you talk about it for a little bit, the game happens, you also keep talking, and then the game ends, uh, and you have like a one, two minute worth of wrap up, and you shut down that, and you got your coming up screen. This is the basic flow of almost every live stream that's out there, which doesn't have a high, high level of production value. And the problem you then have is, because you've only got this window of opportunity to say everything, you kind of try and cram too much information into this, and you do a half-assed job. I, it's it's like trying to listen to a two-hour lecture in two minutes on speed. Yep. I, it just it it doesn't work. Uh, so the problem we have is, and this won't happen, like this won't change until the studios start being able to focus themselves a lot better when they do a live stream, um, and that's taking the time out to have an analyst panel that talks about this kind of stuff in between the games or after the game or before the game and you prepare information to talk about this kind of stuff. Now, this takes a lot of time to do. This takes a lot of time and a lot of preparation to do just on the caster's side of things um, as a team of, of commentators or talent, whatever. Uh, like You need to take time to do all of this and you can't do that when you're casting one tournament after the other, after the other, after the other. If you start doing this, then everything just starts becoming a rinse and repeat and you only give it the level of attention which you give every other game that's out there in the manner I said to start with. Yep. So, yeah. But that's that's just where we are. Like, And it actually stems back to the conversation we are having previously, which is like studios have to keep commentating all the time in order to keep themselves relevant, to keep themselves like in the limelight, not be dead. Uh, and the only way to do that is by casting and casting and casting and casting. And you see poor people like Coddle Guy in place who just cast the living crap out of everything, but they're soon going to realize that that is not how they forward their brand. That's how they'll prove themselves to the hardcore members of the community, which is a small amount, but they're never going to get a big opportunity to do anything, primarily because like when they do the big events, they're still stuck back in this mindset of, I have to do everything in just this, just in the game time only. Every, yeah. like you don't, you're not being pushed to try and, and think about how you can make a show around the game as well. Yeah. And that's that, that's the problem for, for commentators. No one's teaching anybody any of this. No one has any of this information out there. Like there's some people who will challenge you to think about it, but those people will challenge you and then it's still up to you to do something about it and you'll do something about it in the first couple of weeks because you're like, yeah, like I could do it for this event because I've got time to prep and I've got a production team behind me live at the event and then you'll come back and you'll fall back into your rhythm because the schedule dictates that you have to do so. Because you yeah. just don't have the time and the resources in order to do like to, to do a better job. It's, it's very interesting, the, the insights you get there. And I, I get it, like it's... It's again like a battle quantity versus quality, more or less. Yep. And yep. I, I, I guess I agree 90% with you there because sometimes I also know that quantity is for some people just the, the way, I don't know, branding works, for example, or that sometimes you just get like little exposure for, for some games. So sometimes the quantity is actually 
just in improving your reach to the community therefore you have to go for it like you said at the casting the little what the living hell out of them it's but sometimes you just have to do it especially as a as a beginner in, in any industry oh yeah but, yeah all right you you, you got to prove that you're dedicated enough that anyone who wants to employ you full-time and take that risk to try and focus your talent is worth it like yeah because uh, if you can't do that like if i don't know you're going to work hard then why would we ever hire you for like a full-time casting position yeah like it, it doesn't make sense and this is this is what people don't understand when they first try and break into the scene they feel like they have to cast everything um and get noticed somehow by casting everything but they they miss they miss the position like the the opportunities to develop their brand to actually expose themselves to go out there and have people say i'm a fan of this and by word of mouth i'm going to spread it to a whole bunch of my friends and tell them why i think this person is amazing like yeah. this is this is how you get your brand out there this is how you get people talking about you um and even the, the quirky things as long as you don't lessen yourself like as long as it works with who you are like there's special little things you can do that people will then notice you everyone starts talking about you a silly picture with a shoe on your head like crap like this like if if it fits who you are you can do it yeah. and you get attention you get opportunities and you make the most of what you get absolutely yeah no i i, I totally agree with this and the hard working part and proving that i guess that's that's in this industry also hard and um, there was actually a nice article yesterday on uh esportscareer.com uh by a guy who i think got the real the real mix in the article he said we should not forget there that esport is still a industry that grows with the with your network with the connections you have so there's still the friends of friends of my friends thing but there's also the fact that a lot of people people and a lot of players come into the industry that really just look at you they they see man that that guy is like working 20 hours a day and that's coming to the point where you said yeah i know if i hire that guy he's actually doing his job because a lot of people in eastward still think it's like a fluffy walk on the alley and no work involved the rest of the time i just play video games and that's it it's actually the opposite those who are successful they don't play a lot of games anymore Anyway, let's let's skip this topic because I got some some other interesting stuff I wanted wanted to ask. Um, like the podcast, like okay, let let me get a transition here. Do, you said the studios have to be creative, and otherwise they dissolve because it's more talent focused than actually brand focused right now. Um, there, of course, there are options like additional content. Right now, you're sitting, for example, on a podcast. Zoe did for Join Dota the. Uh, top something per week the item introduction sorry if i don't know yeah. the name sorry that i no, screw up we, the brand we did we, did, we tried items of interest we tried x yeah. marks the news yeah um, exactly yeah like i used to do talk dota back in the days like like there's yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can make content which is not just tied to a game cast yeah but it's decreasing. Like, I mean, first of all, the community hates podcasting and these shows. The, the show we do right now, like, this is not a, a, a burner in the Dota 2 community in comparison to Hearthstone or Counter-Strike. You have big players there, actually, with thousands of, of consuming people that really sit there and listen to other people for two hours. Either way. But other content in Dota 2 is really small in, in comparison. You, you, and why is that? Why is also, like, why are the studios not doing much more? I, the I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's different in... in 
that much of a comparison. Like for most of the podcasts which happen, which have like thousands of people that are tuning in, they're normally promoted directly by the pe- by by the game developer uh, yeah. and through their networks, which is where you get your exposure. The other problem is when you have like you have smaller shows which are done, and they're done by people which you probably listen to for the first two times, and then you'll be sitting there yourself and you're like, well, I read something over here which actually counters exactly what they said and contradicts what they say, but they're talking like they know what they're talking about. And the second you have that feeling for any viewer, then your your show is is dead, like practically dead. The reason why Talk Dota was actually the most popular Dota show today is because I had Puppy, Syndrome, and myself. Yeah. At that time, Puppy was the greatest captain out there. Um, and Syndrome was insanely popular, also involved in competitive teams. Both were in competitive teams, but both had fun, quirky ways of how to talk about different things. And then I was known as like the only English real commentator out there at that time. Uh, and because of that, we basically found a holy trinity. That's what gave the show so much momentum. But now you look at any other show, and like one of the best ones, which I know out there, is Toffees. Like, yeah, he does true. a lot. He does a lot of a lot of prep work before he does his interviews, um, and has really good connections to a lot of different people. And because of this, he's getting people who are interesting that you want to hear what they have to say. And that's really the crutch of the situation. You want to hear what people have to say. And most of the time, people who are hosting things just they, they just don't know what they're talking about, but they try and talk about it anyway, just to try and justify the fact that they that they they can get noticed because they're talking about such a topic. Uh, well, then again, it's 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 often about the topic because like I I have the feeling that like. Yeah, the normal interviews, they're getting kind of boring, especially if it's the same people. Just the event yeah. to, I don't know, two months difference between the events. Yeah. How That's do also you feel boring. about the event? Do you hate Bloodseeker? Is our team exactly. too young to play in your team right now? I, I, it's, the, it's the same boring questions asked every single time because like, who here is trained in, in any kind of media? Yeah. There's not a lot of people. Everyone are really just volunteer people trying to do the best they possibly can to break into an industry where you don't require any kind of real education in order to get a break. Yeah. I mean, education makes it easier. I have to say that. It's not like, boys, go to school and learn and then come to esports. It helps, but yeah, you're, you're right. In theory, hard working in esports, in theory, you can do it without any education. That's true. And we have a lot of precedents where this is just true. Okay, You're talking I'm... to a guy right here. Yeah. Uh, my my um my time at university was spent in high school studying, well, actually technology and manual arts and stuff, uh, engineering and mm-hmm. architecture. And then I did at my university itself. I did education, like early childhood education was where I studied. So then I came into esports and I have no qualifications for anything I do beyond the experience which I gained over a lot of time working hard in esports, but also experience which I had from my extracurricular activities like like theater, for example, which gives me a lot of confidence in front of big crowds and also just in general speaking. Yeah. I get it. No, but it's it's very interesting what you what you think about this content that it mostly comes down to not qualified people. So I take myself in there as well. 
um, I, I try to just talk about things that are actually where I have at least the, the slightest clue of what I'm what I'm saying, and if not, then I just say it to to I don't know like tickle some of the information out of my guest. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm trying to you know get some interesting stuff out there in the community not make it a 10 question interview so let's scratch this maybe i'm successful with it maybe not i let the community judge judge this okay toby um, that's fine man that's fine <laughs> let's let's get this one in i know this is a standard question this could have been on any interview on an event major system it's coming but i want to link it to what we said already about the ti you said they're stepping up the quality game so not everybody's coming in there but with the majors we have a lot more events per year so that raises the question of like, okay, I have not been nominated for the February one, but I want to be in the June one, maybe in the, I don't know, fall one. Uh, who knows? So what do you think about this? It's going to be a circle checking of the same personalities. Valve is going to rotate something, something. Your thoughts? What do you think happens with the CSGO majors right now? It's the same people that keep coming back time and time again. Yeah. But it's because they're the best people to have there. As long as you can get to yourself to a point to prove yourself that you should be there and you bring something there, then that's all you should be worried about. If you're like, oh, I want to be at this event, like I'm not going to give you any level of sympathy. Like, if you then show me this is what I'm doing to prove that I can't be good enough to be selected or hired for this event, then yeah, I will sit up and pay attention to you. But mm -hmm. it's, it's not something which you should feel entitled that – because I cast a, a bunch of games or because I cast all of Dota Pit by myself, uh, I should be invited to the international or to one of the majors. Yeah. That's, not, that's not how any industry works. Like re re Rewarding the hard worker is like, congratulations, you're employee of the month. <laughs> yeah. it, it doesn't actually mean shit. You're not going to get any kind of like advancement in in the industry maybe you'll get up to a managerial role at some point uh, but that's basically where it's probably going to end unless you keep setting yourself a goal and working towards capitalist for me is the best example of that capitalist um when he first came to join dota like one of his first things he wanted to do was cast a major land event didn't yeah. say which one just wanted to cast a major land event uh and he came in he worked hard and we're in a position where we said, yes, Cap, we have enough faith in you. ESL 1 Frank for 2014 is your event. You're going to come and cast here. And that was his first big showing. And in the space of one year, he's developed so much. And he's like, ESL 1 Frank for the big thing. I want to get to TI if I can, but if I don't make it, I'll understand. Then they invited everyone and capitalists came along. So he's like, hell yes. But he also <laughs> understood. He also understood that it probably wouldn't be the same again. That yeah. things would change, that it was too many people, and you'd have to work even harder to justify your position. And even if they do bring in all those people, you want to cast the main event, you want to be casting in key arena. This was his goal. Uh, so he worked his ass off, he's done a whole bunch of events, he's developed himself as a commentator, his knowledge is fantastic, his, play, uh, his ability to actually play the game is quite fantastic as well. Um, and his connection with all the players is really, really good. So he brings a lot of insight, a lot of skills to it all. And would you believe it? He gets invited to the international because he worked hard to get to that position. And yeah. it wasn't because he was like, hey, Val, please notice me. Please notice me. It was a, you're going to notice me because I'm doing what I do the best I can possibly do it. And the community eventually will say, this guy is awesome. Or the people at Valve who actually watch the games will say, 
this guy is really good. That's that's the way you've got to work your way up to it. The major system and anything you do really for Dota 2, if you want to get hired for it, be good at what you do. Don't expect it's going to come to you because you've just sacrificed so much of your life to make it happen. It yeah. doesn't work that way. Yeah, I get it. No, it's it's it, it bears mostly the, the the same message. It comes down to the the same thing. So for capitalists, it worked out. But you brought in also some some other personalities into join Dota. I mean, your your latest uh, acquirement was pretty much Mr. Durka. You brought him in. He already has a, a history with you. I mean, you have been casting with with him on join Dota even in I don't know, like two years ago or two and a half years ago. I, I don't even yeah. remember that. Uh, that was a while ago. Yeah. And 2014, you brought in uh, Zoe and Melk. Zoe for, for content, Melk more for the, I guess, management part as well as the it's panelist a, thing. I'll I, I clear it up a little bit. Zoe was actually okay. with the company a long time before I was. So okay. she just wanted to do more in Dota. So she came and was more of a part of Dota. But she was with us from the very, very start. The first defense trailer was myself and Zoe. So yeah. she was kind of always involved in joining Dota. Just more involved now yeah. uh and yeah we we got durka um and he was just a solid choice we needed another play-by-play -play cast we needed someone who could also double as a co-caster when when required um and could work out synergy with myself and cap through previous experiences we had that so he was he was a real logical choice okay but is it also okay and this is a very delicate delicate question uh because um so is he actually like the filler that takes the content to be casted by Join Dota that fits you as a co-caster because you just know him? Or is it also like a candidate like Cap where you say like, hey, I know Cap, uh, he can be big if he works hard enough, which happened. You think that's going to be the same case for Durka? And you don't have to answer this because I know this this might destroy some friendship. No, 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 no it doesn't at all. Durka, Durka knows exactly how I look at things. Um, okay. And it's also, like, I've been pretty public with this stuff and we already talked about a lot of it tonight. Like. It's the whole, you've got to prove that you deserve to have the gig. And okay. one of the first steps, uh, like you mentioned Odie Pixel and how he was working a full-time job. One of the first steps you have when you're trying to become a full-time caster is the ability to actually be a full-time yeah. caster. The ability to give up your day job and focus on becoming better. Uh, the cap used to stack boxes in a warehouse back in back in the states, and also was part of the Marines as a volunteer guy. So like, he did all of this and gave it up so he could focus 24/7 on becoming a better commentator. Durker has been given that opportunity, so he works hard and he can prove that he can be as good as Cap or as good as everyone else that's out there. He's yeah. got to find his groove and and use the resources which are around him to do it. So, yeah, you might be casting some games which are not Tier 1 games. That's, that's going to happen to you anyway. Cap did the same stuff when he arrived. Exactly, it's this, yeah. this build-up. You you've got games which you've got 500 people who will probably be so dedicated to watch these games that they'll give you really good feedback every time you ask for it, and you can use these people to help develop yourself as a brand, then they get connected to you, and they'll follow you wherever you go. This is what you have to do when you, whenever you start up. It's just if you find the opportunity to do so. Yeah. So long, long story short, you, th he was selected pretty much also knowing that he could, given what you just said, work his way up to to that point. Anyone can do it. Like it's really just an opportunity you you fight for, and he got it. Okay.
I mean, it's a good opportunity you got there because, like, you, you said, yes, you have to be ready. I mean, I, I know how it is because sometimes I deal with young people that say, like, yes, I want to be casting. And I, then I ask certain things like time and things, for example, like internet upload speed. They're like, oh, sorry, I don't have internet here. I'm like, yeah, that's that's good for your casting and everything, I'd say, especially the streaming part, you know. So, uh, I mean, he was given the opportunity that he actually can give up a job, go to Germany, get paid to get better spend all the time on it and like this so you gave him a bridge this bridge doesn't exist for most of the of the people that do not have the connection or did not get recognized because then well they have to make the jump on their own it's an investment as in time mm -hmm. and money and if it doesn't work out you're royally screwed pretty much yeah so you either you find groups to work with that can give you that kind of leverage up yeah or you find other ways that you can balance both the opportunities you want to try and find and and how to pay the bills i did it for a very long time myself like i've only been a common a paid commentator for four years yeah. but i've been casting for almost 10. that's that's very interesting you know i mean uh we, we both know that like most people in esports like those who are in the, in the stage of working their way up they, they have sometimes i don't know how many jobs like the the normal jobs in, in another industry but or what most people don't even know, they, they write articles, they organize stuff, admin stuff, like small stuff that somehow adds up to pay the bills on the rent each month. But okay, let's cut this because uh, the time, time, we never have time. One last little topic, it's a bit social media related. Um, I mean, Reddit and you is always a very sensitive relationship. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're fine, did not I? <laughs> okay i mean reddit is always sensitive regardless of of the personality but when it comes to social media and everything i mean everybody knows you do like the, the normal posts maybe so uh twitter or facebook whatsoever but you have never been the guy who has done that stuff into private life there's not a, a house cam there's not your instagram of you know what i mean the next step of social media of your personal life exposure nobody knows if there is a mrs toby van and stuff like that so you, you know have you never been that guy that wants to share more than just the on-camera studio stuff um i think i actually share a decent amount on my twitter and when people ask me about it like when i'm doing my own stream and stuff like i also share it but at the same time, I'm not going to divulge the secrets of my life yeah. uh, without being prompted or without being like, without it being appropriate to do so. And I also have no desire to throw like my, like my social life or my my love life out there in the open until it's stable. And funny enough, with most of what I do has never really been stable. But the day I get a stable, a stable girlfriend to potentially then have a Mrs. Toby one, sure, uh, then I'll be happy to, to stream it out there and let everyone know. But more than likely at that point, most people probably see her on my side at every single event <laughs> I go to. So yeah. Yeah. I, you, you can't really keep secrets from the community. Um, but at the same time, like, you don't have to tell them everything either. And well, I'm asking. You don't, you don't have to. Like, I'm not going to tell them if I have some medical condition or something like that, unless it's going to affect their lives. So yeah. that's it. I'm, I'm just asking because it's uh, for for some of the personalities out there. It's like a different strategy. Uh, I mean, 
for you, it's kind of easy to say, okay, no, I'm, I'm happy with what I got. But then again, you're already on the, you know, sitting on a successful branch, the thick ones where everything is safe and, and whatnot. I mean, you still have to work and work hard for staying there. But I'm just saying some people, some personalities, they have like a, sometimes maybe even a strange and a very deep way of sharing their stuff, like on tons of social media, life cams and whatnot. But for them, it's, a, I guess, a way to work it up. I just thought this topic is very interesting because this... I don't know, if you just go on Twitch, for example, what is being shared and what is being promoted and used? It's 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 an interesting development at some point, I guess. I don't know. People will advertise themselves in whatever way they feel comfortable with to establish their product. Yeah. Um, for me, I feel I'm established, so I don't need to go overboard with sharing stuff. So I, I live by the motto, like I, I do what I want to do. Uh, I, I don't really give a crap about money as long as I got a roof over my head and food in my belly then that's all that really matters to me uh, so I'll continue to do what I want to do I don't have to sell out to get things uh, so yeah it's really it's a simple life and yeah that's that's it yep. keep there's, things as simple as possible there's one last small topic it's, it's more of a personal interest to me um, how German are you by now? Living for that long? Not in... German at all. No, Not I'll... German at all. Like the only German I like have fully become, and is actually a reason for me having a little bit of extra padding around the midsection for winter, is the fact that like I live a little bit off Durham, which is really fucking bad. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, no. Like I live in Germany, but I haven't become German primarily because like. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an introvert by yeah. nature, so I, I like to actually hide away in my house at night. I like, like my social activities is maybe a couple of drinks with some good close friends, yeah. like, and some really good conversation. Uh, I get bored really easily, so if if you decide you're going to go on a pub crawl and then you spend 15 minutes deciding which pub we're actually going to go to, I'm going to get really frustrated and probably just leave, because uh, I'm just like, what the fuck, guys? Like, why are you wasting my time? Uh, so yeah, I I prefer just to stay in indoors whenever I whenever I can or go out with a select few people. Like it's yeah, uh, it's and most of those people are the people I work with anyway. So or the people I know when I when I travel. So so you have it's, yeah, so you have a little own secluded world just by how you are and how in what kind of circumstances you work in. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I was just curious, you know, because uh, this industry sometimes requires people to, to live abroad. You do that now for a long time. And I thought maybe some, some I don't know, German ways, qualities, whatever, maybe blended in already. I mean, I'm living also for five years in a different country. I'm German and I'm losing like some of the also some bad German qualities step by step, which is, I guess, a good thing. <laughs> I, I don't know what the bad German qualities are, man, but uh, it's... I don't mind Germany, but I kind of don't live here. I live, I live where I work and I live online. Like that's kind of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I totally understand this. Okay, that's pretty much my, my topic list. But of course, there are your fans and everything. Some of them had specifically some questions. Some of them are already incorporated in those topics. So don't worry. There's not a like a hundred question stuff coming. Uh, answers, of course, as as short as possible. Um, wait, I just had the Germany question that was partially from Reddit, but also my personal thing. Um, mm -hmm. Where 
is the next question. Ah, yeah, where where did clairvoyance go? Because people miss, or at least that guy, D2 William J, misses him casting with you. Uh, clairvoyance had uh, commitments with his family, which he really couldn't break. Like he was Matt, he was coach of Cloud Nine for a while, um, and then things happened there. But I believe he's just got a full time job, and his family comes first. Yeah. Okay. Then there's uh, Mr. Napmeyer. Partially his questions were already answered. It was around JD not getting the DAC cast and everything, but having other projects. Um, now that actually Join Dota is back, even in the eyes of, of the community, we talked about it already, uh, you, th you feel that the struggle is over, that like you, you feel back to the market, as a, may it be as a talent or as Join Dota, the brand? I don't think we ever really left. It's just yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the perspective of the community has definitely come back. Uh, and we'll keep working for, for bigger and better things, bigger and better tournaments, possibly. Yeah, anything's possible. Yeah, I got another funny one here. If a tree falls in the woods and nobody is there to see, does that make Trent Protector uh, cry every time? <laughs> it's, it's such a, it's such a question. But well, uh, he would only cry if Navi lost. True. <laughs> Okay, I think uh, wait, I had one more. Do you like cats? That's something Mr. Ed D12 wanted to know. Do you like cats? Actually, I love cats, and I really wish I could have a cat. Um, but I travel too much that I don't want to leave the cat here for like, like I, when I'm going for like three weeks for TI. It's just cruel to the cat. So, yeah, I want to get a cat. I've wanted to get a cat for a while. I've always owned a cat. Um, but yeah. I'm now six years without a cat, which is really depressing. Oh, like you have actually uh, a cat pictures in your wallet? <laughs> I do not have cat pictures in my wallet. Someone said that on Twitter, and I was curious if that actually... No, that, I, I, I saw that tweet, and it's a joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't have cat pictures in my wallet. I have one ID card in my wallet, and that's basically it. I don't keep pictures in my wallet. Yeah, but it's interesting. I keep them on my, I keep them on my phone. More, more, more than two people actually asked about cats. I mean, I know the internet is cat crazy, but I didn't know you you were part of all that. Anyway, Toby, I mean, that's that's pretty much the end. Like, all my topics, you you, you answered them in a very interesting way. Some very interesting perspectives on it, because it differs from some other guests I had and what you know from them, what they say publicly. So that's very interesting. So I want to thank you for coming here. Is there any, any shout-out, anything you want to do? Um, yeah, shout out to all those wonderful people who volunteer over at Join Dota and do a great job. Shout out to all those people who follow me on my social networks. Um, just because you're awesome. Uh, yeah, that's basically it. Okay. And talking about social media, you can find Toby Van on at Toby Van Dota. And of course, everything that is Join Dota involved also has somehow a Toby on it. So that's easy to find, easy to spot. It's always the nice guy. Uh, around. My name is Heflamog and I hope you enjoyed this show. This was episode 7. Episode 8 actually comes pretty soon because of the quota this month. I'm actually late because I was traveling myself. So um, This is coming very soon but Toby, you've definitely been, been one of the highlights this month. It was a very nice show. Uh, guys, again, thank you to 2P for writing up an article pretty much soon, about 12 hours after this is going offline. There will be bullet points. You can read it. You can click on the YouTube link. You can click on SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever way you want to consume it. I hope I made it uh, perfect for you. And of course, also Hitbox, be using their platform, not just to stream it. Also, they support the project because they think it's cool. And I also think it's cool. And that's why I also want to thank everybody for supporting it. So, Toby, 
We're going offline, stop the recording and mute everything.